My name is Scott Gibson. Some of you may be visiting today or new or haven't been here for a while, but uh, my name's Scott Gibson and I'm the uh, guest preacher. Your pastor, Nick Gatsky, is on sabbatical and I'm filling in for this month and I'm really glad that I'm able to do so. My wife and I are originally from Newcastle, Pennsylvania, just over the border, but presently we live down in Waco, Texas, Waco, and uh, we are... Um, here for the summer and really glad to be able to come and spend uh, these weeks with you all as we uh, uh, learn from God's word and and worship together. Um, We live in an age where there are a lot of choices. It's almost crazy thinking about it. Think about Uh, Say, for example, uh, cars, the color of a car, the choice of a color of a car. Uh, It's it's amazing. There are 10 different colors for the Ford Edge from which to choose. 10. There are seven colors that are offered by Toyota and eight by Nissan. There are 10 different colors that you can choose from if you were to buy a Mercedes. And then when you think about trucks, uh, if you want to get a Chevy Silverado, there are 10 different colors, also silver, for uh, Chevy Silverados and nine different colors for the Dodge Ram. All kinds of colors. I looked online and I thought, well, what would it be like to choose a refrigerator? And I discovered that there were nine, at least nine different colors for a refrigerator. And then uh, choices. Uh, Choices, what about mattresses? Uh, There are all different kinds of choices for mattresses. Have you ever gone to a showroom and laid on these mattresses to figure out which one you want? Last summer, my wife Rhonda and I went to a mattress showroom and and we were laying on different beds. Well, this one is too soft. This one's too hard. This one makes my back feel funny. It was almost a dizzying assortment of mattresses to choose from. We felt like we were... um, um, like, uh, what's, what's the, 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 the character uh, who's, who's looking for uh, a, a mattress or a bed? Well, we felt like her as well. We, we felt like uh, Goldilocks, just trying to figure it all out. And then you, you think about going to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant and you get the menu and you're going to make a selection. Right. It's, it's almost overwhelming. Think about going to, say, like a, 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 um, a restaurant like the, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of it, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, oh, Cheesecake Factory. You go to Cheesecake Factory, and their, 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 their menu is like a novel. It, 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 there are so many different kinds of choices. You're confronted with that all the time. So here you are trying to make a decision about what to, to do, what to get as far as a car or a mattress or a menu. 
But then there are the kinds of decisions that we could call conduct decisions. These conduct decisions, these choices are such that um, we're trying to figure out how we are going to conduct ourselves and live our lives. Um, we discern how we're going to work out life with our spouse. How are we going to live with our friends or other family members, our children, or our employer, our fellow workers, our students, or even our relationship with God? How do we conduct ourselves? Uh, these choices, the way we come about conduct decisions, are really made in our head, in our heart. And these choices have a ripple effect on how we live our lives. Will I tell the truth? Will I fulfill my commitments? How will I treat this person or that person who really doesn't like me? Should I post or not post my opinion on Facebook? What do I say to the person who disagrees with me? How will I spend my money? Will I give in to my friends, to my peers who are pressuring me? Can I resist the sexual temptation that I'm facing right now? Every day, we are faced with a dozen decisions, dozens of choices. The color of car or refrigerator or what you're gonna have for your main course doesn't matter as much as the decisions you make in your heart, in your head. And even though we have a lot of these decisions to make, these head-heart decisions, they are intricately connected to a much bigger decision, a much bigger choice that we have to make. This decision is the basis of all decisions, of all our choices. The choice is a this or that choice. Choose this or choose that. The choice is between fearing God, fear, or folly. The fundamental foundational decision is whether or not we fear God, that we recognize who God is, that we have given ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, or we don't. If we don't, the Bible states that those who don't fear God are fools. Fear or folly. They are diametrically opposed. They are issues that we are faced with every single day. We either fear God or we live a life of folly, of foolishness. Now these choices can seem to be extreme, but yet this fear factor is ribboned all throughout scripture. What does the first commandment say? The first commandment says, you shall love you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. 
So we want to be clear about this choice. Fearing God is the foundation for being a wise guy. We're talking about becoming wise men and women and boys and girls and living a life that is one that's wise, but it's based on this fundamental foundational decision of whether or not we fear God. The question is for us is what happens when someone is confronted with this naked choice between fear or folly and what does it look like to choose folly instead of fear? Well, today's text here in Proverbs chapter 1 verses 8 to 19 pictures for us a tension that's taking place. It is a tension between some parents, a father and mother, and their son. It's a warning even in this conversation that they're having with their son as he stands on the threshold of adulthood. The son is faced with a choice. And the choice is of fear or folly. Fearing God or living a foolishly, morally corrupt life. What's the foundation of his life going to be? What's he going to do? What are the results of not choosing to fear God? What are the results of non-wisdom? Well, here in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 19, we find this conversation. And as I read this text, ask yourself, what lessons can we gain from this conversation that these parents are having with their son? What lesson can we gain from these warnings that are mentioned here? What's the text trying to tell us? Reading from Proverbs chapter 1, beginning with the verse numbered 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we'll share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin, and they are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a a net in full view of the birds. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. So how does this conversation start in this passage between the parents and the son? What are the reassuring words that they want to remind their son about? What is it that they want to tell him? They want to tell him this. Fearing God is a safety net for wise guys. You see that in verses 8 to 9. Notice at the 
beginning of verse 8. It says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Listen. That's a call in and of itself for the son to place his fear in God, to place his life in God, to, to recognize who God is. The passage also shows us the prominent place that parents have in the instruction of their children and the shaping of their faith. The teaching is to a son who is to listen and to hold on to this instruction and the t- to, of the teaching of his mother and father so that he might be able to live a life that fears the Lord. Here's an adolescent. He's right at the cusp of becoming an adult, but he's not yet an adult. At this stage, he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable on at least three levels, his budding sexual drive, his innate greediness, and the need for peer approval. Here he is, faced with a choice, and the choice is, Will he make his parents' faith his own? Will he fear God or not? The fear of the Lord here, as you see, is compared to jewelry. It's, it's, it's showing here the, the jewelry is worn on the head, around the neck, or over the heart, as it also can be translated. It's here a um, symbol of protection, that if one fears God, God will protect them. The son will be protected by fearing God, by recognizing who God is. This God will then keep his life safe. The choice is between life and death. Fearing God provides a a safety net. You and I all know that there are different kinds of safety nets that are provided for different occupations. Whether you're a police officer, you know the situation, you put on a a, a bulletproof vest, that is something that's going to provide a safety net for you. If you're a welder, you put on the goggles and as you weld, you're protected from the fierce light that is thrown off from the torch. A surgeon uh, will wear a mask Uh, in order to protect himself or herself and uh, the patient as well when they're in surgery. By following these instructions of safety, these occupations will then be able to function in a way that protects themselves from harm. Here in this text, we are told that fearing God provides a safety net. Fearing God protects one's life. The problem is, as we'll also see in in a moment, we think that we don't need protection. We think that we don't need to wear a seat belt. We think that we don't need that medicine or that medical appointment or that procedure that will prevent us from further illness. We think that we don't need the rules. We think that we don't need God. But deep down, we recognize that we do need protections. We do need safeguards. We do need God. Fearing God is a safety net for wise guys. So we know that fearing God is a a safety net 
for wise guys, uh, but sometimes what happens is the opposite. What happens if we ignore these warnings? What happens if we don't want to take wise advice? Well, what the text shows us here is that choosing not to fear God leads to a foolish, godless life. And you see that in verses 10 through 19. The majority of this passage focuses on the result of not fearing God. The parents here in this scenario lean into what happens when somebody makes foolish choices as they talk with their son. Now, in the background of this passage, what you see is the tension between the parent's authority and the peer pressure that this son experiences from the gang. The, the, the scene is extreme. Notice the words that are used here by the gang in verses 11 to 14. They talk about we and us. Um, if they say, come along with us, let, let, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay someone's soul. Let's swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. There's this, this allure here from the gang. They are a technicolor example of those who don't fear the Lord. These sinners are trying to entice the son to murder someone. The text calls it a, a harmless soul. <laughs> really? The text also says that these sinners are described here as those who are fools. What these sinners want is um, the harmless soul's money, the possessions. So they think they will be able to get easy money. They want to become rich at someone else's expense. Underneath this word plunder is a, a reference to the competing nature of the love of God and the love of money. You see that in verse 13. We get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Do you see that tension? That's the son's choice. That's the son's dilemma. Will he love God, fear God, or choose the money, love the money, and turn away from God. The sinners try to convince the son to join them in their murderous plot. But the parents warn the son that uh, there are all kinds of, of um, challenges here, not the least of which that they are fools. What does it say here in verse uh, 13, these men lie in wait for their own blood only to waylay themselves. They want to do this scheme, in verse 17, to spread a net in full view of the birds. 
They want to do this scheme in front of everybody else. Everybody can see what they're doing. Everybody can see what's taking place. It doesn't take a a genius to figure that out. And what happens is, is those who murder are destroyed themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. They're not wise. They're fools. You've seen videos or, uh, on burglars or porch pirates who try to take packages from someone's front steps. Oftentimes, the, the, the robbery is captured on film. The thievery happens in view of a lot of people or often right in the middle of the day. The incident is recorded for the authorities to see, and then sometimes what happens is that video appears on the nightly news. People see what's happened. It's, it's foolish to think that such an act will not be noticed. In a technologically driven society, who would think that he or she would get away with crimes like these? From our home in Texas, we receive notifications every day of what's happening outside the front door of our house. We have a ring doorbell, and it lets us know what's going on, whether it's the the maintenance folks who are mowing the lawn or the mail is being delivered by the mail carrier. Surveillance cameras abound in stores, on streets, or in private homes. Foolish living doesn't escape the eyes of men and women, of birds, of cameras, or even God. Now, sometimes we think that our choices are neutral, that it really doesn't matter what we do, (laughs) what we decide, but actually our decisions reflect our commitments. Our decisions reflect our allegiances. Our decisions reveal our foundation. Either we fear God or we foolishly ignore or even reject him. Choosing not to fear God leads to a foolish, godless life. So here's this conversation that's going on between parents and their son. And they're trying to give him wisdom as they uh, lay out a scene that is uh, set before him. What are they trying to do here? What are they trying to teach their son? What are they trying to teach us as we overhear this conversation that's taking place? It's this. Wise guys choose to fear God, not folly. You notice here that this passage sketches out a tension. A tension between following God in fear or turning away from him like a fool. The father and mother are laying out here before the son these stark choices that that he has to make between fearing God or following other fools. The passage, as we note, begins with the safety net by a call to follow 
God. And the remainder of the passage is the result of uh, possible tragic outcomes, choices, when somebody chooses not to follow God. And what is sketched out here is that the consequences are dire. Such a choice leads to death. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Choices like these take away the lives of those who get the plunder. The choice we have to follow God or to follow foolishness is a constant daily reality. For many of you who are sitting here, you have said, yes, I fear God. I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to follow him. But we also know that once that decision is made, there are daily, almost moment-by-moment decisions that take place in the living out of that initial yes. We live out every moment our recognition that God is God. The scene here in this passage that we are looking at this morning almost seems severe, almost an outrageous example, but not too outrageous. But it is an example that is reached by making foolish decisions all along the way. Your experience may be like mine. I have a family member who has made foolish choices all his life. He has had the opportunity to recognize that God is God, but he's turned away from it. He's been in and out of jail. He's made foolish financial decisions. He's been homeless. He's suffered ill health, all because he does not want to recognize who God is. He's followed a foolish path and his life is in shambles. I wish I could say, I really do, I wish I could say that our decisions really don't matter. But they do. I worked with a colleague at Gordon-Conwell when I was there for 21 years, Haddon Robinson. And he had a saying that I, I really liked. He said, you'll make decisions and your decisions will make you. That's what this text is talking about. Wise guys choose to fear God, not folly. So the choice then, (laughs) the choice then is to fear God or choose folly at the fork of the road. Which one have you chosen? Which one will you choose. When I was a little boy, I remember watching the inauguration of President Kennedy on my parents' black and white television set. And as I I watched that inauguration, I can remember an older gentleman who was making his way to the uh, podium. His, His white hair waved in the wind. It was tousled about. He was the poet, Robert Frost. One of the poems that Robert Frost wrote has these familiar words. 
Two roads diverged in the late yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, but be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And then the poem ends this way. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Some of you have made that decision that has, uh, is reflected here. You've taken that less traveled choice. Your life has been changed. Coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, recognizing that God as God has made all the difference. Your life is forever, forever changed. You might identify with the words from the hymn Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You can testify that you once were a fool, that you lived a foolish life, that you didn't fear God, but then you came to a place where you recognized who God is, that he is God over all, the God of the universe. And you found him in the Lord Jesus Christ. You knew what the consequences were like for not fearing God. But now, you fear him. And so have many, many others throughout the years, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, who have recognized that God is God. And they've given their, themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul was writing about when he wrote a letter to Titus. Titus was sent to pastor the church at Crete. And Paul wanted to remind the believers on Crete who they once were and what they are now because of Christ. Paul wrote these words. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Wise guys choose to fear God, not folly. John writes these words in his gospel. Whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son.
Today we have been talking about choices. But it really comes down to two. There's a fork in the road. It's here we are compelled to decide to make our choice that will forever make a difference in our lives. Either we fear God or we choose folly. What will your choice be? Wise guys choose to fear God, not folly. Will you pray with me, please? Our gracious God, we recognize that the choices that we make and the ultimate choice that we have made or the one that we will even make today will make all the difference because of you. By your kindness and by your grace and by your mercy and by your care, will you please do your work in us as you help us to recognize who you are, to fear you, to know you, to love you, and then to give ourselves to you every single day. We need you. And we look to you in Christ's name. Amen.